Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email. We send this out once a week. It's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online. Apart from that, there is a give button. So if you're feeling led, you can do that right online through our website. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. We are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that God's going to do something special in you through today's message. Enjoy. Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email. We send this out once a week. It's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online. Apart from that, there is a give button. So if you're feeling led, you can do that right online through our website. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. We are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that God's going to do something special in you through today's message. Enjoy. Thank you. Connor and everyone else for clapping before I said anything, so now I can say anything I want, and I know it'll go down well. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, There's already so much uh, that happened in the ministry just by way of music and singing and all that. Um, I'm compelled to ask you a question. What does the word hallelujah mean? Praise the Lord. That's right. We sang it a lot. I hope everybody knows that. So that's a good thing to do. And um, it's funny how the Lord weaves those things uh, because we're going to talk about the preeminence of Christ this morning. And we already sang about it in just about every single song that was out there. So thank you for picking those songs, uh, those of you who did. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Sony. I work with uh, Cape and Ray Harbor for now eight years. I'm responsible for the technology ministry. Actually, that's not a joke. Uh, That's my real name, S-O-N-Y, and I really take care of technology. So God has a sense of humor. That's interesting. Uh, But uh, it's it's great to see. You know, isn't that awesome? There's a QR code for everything today. Uh, you know, we wish you could just say, hey, uh, anyone on the street, hit that QR code, you're going to find Jesus. Unfortunately, it's not that simple, you know. Uh, it, it, it would be great if it worked like that, but unfortunately, it's not that simple. Um, open invitation to all to come and join us at Cape and Ray Harbor at some point for a personal retreat, for a church retreat or anything. Get in touch with our office if you don't. 
uh, know where to start. May, how many of you may have been to Cape Noir before? Yeah, a few people, so that's great. And, uh, just open invitation, uh, I hear about all the buzz of planning for the ministry that's coming in the fall, the back to school and all that. Well, guess what? We're no exception to that. Uh, we're actually beginning our staff conference tomorrow for planning for the 90-plus students that we're going to welcome for the next seven or eight months to come and study of and about the Lord Jesus. And that's amazing. But yes, things can be nerve-wracking, so I'm definitely with you in prayer as far as all those who are responsible for those ministries and involved in volunteering. You guys got the right recipe. You know, ice cream is just going to bring everybody in. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but who doesn't like ice cream? So that's a good way to start. Uh, but yes, uh, God is at work. Be encouraged. God is at work even here in the Cowichan area, the Cowichan Valley, uh, because He is faithful at doing what He does. We spoke a lot about His faithfulness today, even in the songs, and that is true and for real. Uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 20, For as many as the, are the promises of God, in Him they are yes, in Christ, in the person and the works of the Christ Jesus. So we can definitely say hallelujah to that and amen to that because he is the one who does most of the work. Uh, so introductions aside, uh, turn with me if you will to Colossians 1 and we shall look to the Lord in prayer before we dive into the scriptures and see what's in there for us this morning. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for being here today. Uh, being the um, only one who was always there as the author of the book you wrote for us, namely the Bible and Scripture, which we say is your word. Father, we pray that you guide us into a reflection of Colossians this morning, Colossians 1, and that uh, you um, honor your promise that even as we read the Scripture and as we come to know you, the Holy Spirit is faithfully at work in us to reveal to us your word about the person of Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to spend time in your word and grow closer in a relationship with you and in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So our anchor verse this morning is 1 Colossians 1, 18. And it goes like this. I'm reading out of the NASB just in case what I read sounds a little bit different than what you may be used to. Um, but the principle should be the same. So Colossians 1 verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. I want to challenge you with this this morning, just from the get-go. Is Jesus the most important person in your life? I hope the answer is yes to that, because if he's not, he's not preeminent. If he is not, he is only prominent. He is one of many. But the word preeminence says that there is one and only, no one else, equal to or above him. And that's very important. 
and why oftentimes we fail in giving Christ the preeminence in our lives is because we don't know him well enough, I want to suggest. He might be a little too small of a God for us in some ways. I was just chatting with a friend and colleague and co-worker this morning as we're having breakfast uh, here in Duncan uh, that experience allows us to doubt less God because we have seen Him provide for all things that we need and have. So that's great. We don't always have those ha-ha moment to be able to witness the provision of God. But if we dare to look back, because unfortunately very few of us have a crystal ball that they see in the future, um, but we can learn in hindsight and see the provision of God. So before we go into our main passage here, I, uh, which is going to be Colossians 1, verse 15 to 23. I would like to preface that a little bit more. That was the pre-preface. Now we're going to go into the preface uh, with a reading Colossians 1, verse 12 to 14. And it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, namely the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, or sins, as we read here. So who qualifies us? Jesus. Amen to that. If we know this this morning, that's good enough to even go and be blessed, but we're not going to leave it just at that. So this is a verse that I need to read and reread whenever I start thinking that I have a little too much to do with my own salvation. Amen? It is He who has done the work, does the work, and will do the work of sanctification, has done the work of salvation from the penalty of sin, does the work daily of salvation from the power of sin in the daily temptations of life, will do the work, which is already done, by the way, but just not fulfilled with us, of glorifying us with him in his presence. I don't have much to do with it but to receive and say thank you. Hallelujah. Praise God. He has transferred us out of the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. All things are exposed open by the light of Christ. Regardless of how clever we may be to try to think we do things in the dark, unbeknownst to the scrutiny of God. We can try to lie to the world or lie to even ourselves or do things in, hind, in, in, in hidden sight. But I have bad news for you today, which is also good news for you today. God is omniscient, and he knows it all, and he sees it all. Nothing you can hide from the scrutiny of God. So my, why not just stop? <laughs> stop trying to do that and live a life that is open in plain sight before the audience of God. So much easier. Now let's go to our passage, 
Uh, Colossians 1, verse 15 to 23. I will read it in one go, and then we are going to dissect that verse by verse as we go through the passage. So uh, bear with me with this. Uh, I speak Franklish as my maiden language, so it's a mix of French and English. I grew up in Ontario. I was born in Ontario, but grew up in Quebec. So uh, we can mix French and English in, both, in, in the same sentence, and we're actually not even sure which one is which. Uh, but that's okay. I will try not to do that this morning here with you. So Colossians 1, verse 15 to 23, and it goes like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were, we were, I'm included in the you, were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled us, you, in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. What a thought. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Sony, not Paul, but Paul in this case here, was made a minister. I just thought I would change that last verse there so you guys don't think my name is Paul, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Very interesting and full passage, isn't it? Very rich in, in doctrine about the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to verse 15 first. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word image here is of the Greek icon. How many of you know what an icon is in the world of technology? I deal with technology on a daily basis, so I click a lot of icons. And unfortunately, a lot of those icons fail in delivering the promises they hold. Nothing more frustrating than when you click on an icon on your phone or a computer and, it's, and the program behind the icon fails in delivering what it's supposed to do. How many have experienced that? Probably everybody, right? Those of you who don't say, it's probably because you would throw your phone out the window before you, you, you hit it too hard. Um, it takes a special patience to deal with technology, I concede that. Uh, but in our passage here, the image, the icon, does not fail in delivering what it says it would. 
as we have read in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in the image of Christ are yes and fulfilled. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He, Christ, has explained him. Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Not the approximate representation of his nature, the exact representation of God's nature. Now, uh, here, the word exact representation is actually the word character. An exact copy, an express image. That's what the word means and encompass. So the character here is the peculiar, we'll define it to agree on a definition. The character of God is the peculiar qualities impressed by the nature of who he is or the habit of this person which distinguish him from others. Is the true nature of God. Exodus 20, verse 4, spells out the second commandment for us. You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Why? It's because nothing that is in creation can fully encompass the character of God. It's interesting to know that although Jesus is perhaps the most popular historical figure, I don't think anybody in the world can, can there probably is, are very few anyway that have never heard of the person of Jesus Christ in the world today. Um, I'm not going to say 100% because I could be totally wrong and I'm not going to make statements like that. Uh, but even though portrait reproducing techniques in the time of Jesus were already in existence, engraving, and, and different kinds of things. Um, even though Jesus is a very, very important figure of history, there is still no 100% accurate portrait of what he exactly looked like. If you know of one, please tell me. I'd be curious to see that. Uh, but realistically, the physical image is clearly not what God wanted us to see in the person of Christ. Long hair, short hair, brown hair, blonde hair, tall, short, bearded, no bearded, I don't think these were the important factors. Seeing how today's society is so focused on appearances, everybody that is a disciple of Christ would probably look exactly the same if that was the important factor. But you just look in the room here, no two look the same. Praise God for that, right? So clearly it's not the physical image of Christ that was important to observe, but rather the character of God in the person of Christ. Sometimes people sum it up in what would Jesus do? Should be what we do. And our calling is what? In Romans 8.29 we read that those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of of his son. 
so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. We see an interesting progression in the scripture. First, we see that God makes man in his image. Everybody is aware of that? Go back to Genesis, first account in the scripture. Genesis 1:26. then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and on we go with the end of the verse. Um, so, first step, God makes man in his image. Second step, man loses that image because of sin. Genesis 2, 16, 17, the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any of the tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And when you die, they didn't fall dead. Obviously, we all know that. But they died spiritually and lost the image of God. Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the light to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Third step in that progression, Adam reproduces to his own image. We read that in Genesis 5, verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, bless his heart, uh, he became the father of a son in his own likeness. And we know that this was the likeness of a man in sin. Then we have a fourth step in that progression. Christ comes down in the likeness of man. We read that in Philippian, uh, Philippians 2, verse 7, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. For the ultimate goal to be the fifth step in that progression, that man would be restored to the image of God. Romans 8, 29, again, we've read it, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would, have, he would be the firstborn among many brethren. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, not to become sinful, because Jesus never did sin. I hope we agree on that. If he was fully God, he could not sin. But as a person who was also fully man, was subject to the exact temptations of the world that we are all subject. And Scripture tells us that because of that, we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who sympathizes with us with all things. There's nothing strange for him. We can't go to the Lord Jesus and say, oh yeah, but Lord, I'm going to sin in that part because you don't know about that. This is really hard, you know. You have no idea how hard it is to deal with that. I'm sorry, he, he does know. And not only he was subject to the same temptation we are as a man, uh, he, he created us. <laughs> he knows. I think he knows. I think it's safe to say that he knows. Firstborn, what does it mean to be firstborn? Back to verse 15 of Colossians 1. Firstborn is an actual word, prototokos, which, from which is derived the word prototype. 
Everyone here probably knows what it is to be a prototype. Is the first iteration of anything. Um, so he is the firstborn. And here's a couple of verses to speak on that. John uh, 1 verse 15, John the Baptist testified about him, about Jesus, and cried out saying, This was he who I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. Well, wait a minute. Who was born first, John the Baptist or Jesus? John. So how would John say that he existed, Jesus existed before himself? If he's not referring to his divinity, to him being God. John 8:58, Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Where else in the, scripture, in the Scripture we hear that from God? Back all the way in Exodus 3, verse 14, when Moses says, Okay, well, you're going to send me to deliver the people of God from the Egyptian. Well, who, who, who should I say sent me? And God says, during the Bible school year, which speak of his character. We're going to see those four names very briefly here in our lecture because it, it does totally fit into those verses. So the first name that we, or one of the first names that uh, we get to speak of is Jehovah, uh, which is life. It's important to know that uh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, the tr of the triune God, he was never born as God, but being Jehovah, he is eternal and without beginning and without end. However, the incarnate Christ, the person who walked the same dirt we do today, who John was referring to before I was, he was, even though Jesus was born after, he was born at a definite time in history, obviously. And every time we actually speak of today's date, you know, you can say this to some people who question the, the, the very being of Jesus Christ, you ask them, what day is it today? And we say the date according to the calendar that we have today. Just every time we say that date, we actually bear witness that something very special happened some 2,000 years ago. That the person of Christ was born. So that's interesting to know that. In the scripture, the word firstborn doesn't just signify born before, but it's actually a title, a title of inheritance. And it's applicable to Christ as the firstborn with a resurrected body, the firstborn of the resurrection, and he is heir of all things in the heaven and in the earth, as we'll see in verse 18 of our passage. Hebrew 1 verse 2 says, In the last days he has spoken to us in his Son, the person of the, name, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Moving on to verse 16, Colossians 1 verse 16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. This speaks of Christ as Elohim, 
Maybe you have heard that name before, Elohim. It's actually the third word in the Hebrew Bible, the fourth word in the English Bible. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. God created everything out of nothing. Everybody has heard of this, this, this Christian tongue-in-cheek joke that says uh, that man, the scientists of mankind have found out the, 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 the key to creating a man out of the dust. Let me tell you this quickly because I think it's fun anyway. So there's the elite scientists of today who have found the key of creating man out of the dirt. And they raise a convocation between God and man to say, hey, we're, 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 put us to the test. We're going to show you that we found out how to create a man out of the dirt. So everything is set. There's the whole assembly there. There's a dirt pile here and a dirt pile there. And there goes the face-off between God and man to see if man really has found the key to creating a man out of the dirt. And then everything is ready to go, and the bell is about to ring. And all of a sudden, God says, whoa, 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 whoa. you got to get your own dirt. That's my dirt you're playing on right now. Jokes aside, uh, it, it speaks of the point. God created all things. Out of nothing, created all things by the word of his mouth. If you know anybody else here in this earth that can do that, I'd like to meet them. This is Elohim, God Almighty and all-powerful to do all things and create this world out of nothing as we know it. Isaiah 58, uh, 55, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How big is your God? Do we know him well as the all-powerful God? First Corinthians three nineteen and twenty speaks of the wisdom of man compared to with the wisdom of God. So he says, "For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness.' And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise that they are useless. God's way is much higher than our ways, and yet." As magnificently higher than us is God. Psalm 8 verse 4 says, What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? As big as he is and as lowly as we are, the God of the universe considers you and considered it worthwhile to die on the cross to redeem me. Amazing reality. Colossians 1 verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What if God went on a coffee break for just a minute? I would venture to say that the world would fall into obliteration and oblivion very quickly. 
Um, I like numbers. I work with technology. I've done a little research. Don't quote me on those numbers, but just to give you an order of, of scale, uh, supposedly the elite scientists of today has established that there are 322 parameters necessary for life to occur. And the probability of all those 322 parameters to happen at any given place in the universe to support life would be in the realm of one chance in 10 times 282 zeros. That's a lot of trillion, 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 million, trillion, trillions beyond what we can count. So that speaks not only of God's omnipotence, but it really speaks of him as Jehovah, which means the giver of life, the sustainer of life, the one who also takes life, life in himself. The word Jehovah is the proper name of God, and it appears over 6,600 times in 5,600 plus verses in the scripture, which makes it the most common name of God, actually. And it, it's derived in the Hebrew roots from two verbs and two nouns, the verb to be and the noun being, and the verb to live and the noun life. So when God says, I am, he is. Outside of time, all-sufficient, sustaining, living being that our brains cannot comprehend, that something can have no beginning and no end. But he does have no beginning and no end. John eleven twenty five says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Crazy statement. But do you believe that? I hope you do. Because you have all the reasons to. That in Christ... Whoever dies even lives forever in life eternal. The quality of the life that is received when, from the moment that we believe in Christ is eternal, is a quality of a life that has no beginning and no end. For us, it really do start when we say yes to the Lord and last forever, but it's the quality of a life that has no beginning and no end. Amazing. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Should you have any other gods? Is there any other ways to heaven? No, there is not. And I am not ashamed and not afraid of saying no today. Anyone who tries to sell you a different gospel that all roads lead to heaven and all roads lead to Christ is not true. Not according to me, according to God's word. Today, we live in a world of options, don't we? We love options. Oh, yeah, this but that. Or rather, this not that. Well, it works in a lot of other areas of life, but in the matter of eternal life, it does not. And that's why the gospel is very aggravating to a lot of people, because it is exclusive. And that's not me saying that. That's Jesus at his own words. Colossians, uh, or actually 1 John 5, to reinforce that statement here, 
1 John 5, 11, 12 says, and this, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I've been in many conversations when people are saying, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, but what about Jesus? Oh, Jesus, no. No, I don't think so. No. How can this be true? Why would he? Well, that's what it says. And that's what I believe. Will I take... That's a question that we can ask ourselves today. Will I take God at his word? Because we like to live a life with God on our own terms sometimes. God has a lot to say about that in the scripture. Moving on to verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. This speaks of a third name of God, which is Adonai. Many of you may have heard that word. Well, the word Adonai is the one of the four names of God that we're studying today that the flesh does not like at all. And the reason is that it means master, ruler, owner, sovereign Lord over all creation. This is a word in Scripture that is used strictly of God, Adonai. He rises nations against nations. He elevates empires and brings them down. He commands the storm and he stills the sea. And we sing about that in many ways. The Lordship of Christ, I would say, is perhaps one of the biggest challenges to come to terms with. We always want the Elohim, God all-powerful. We want the Jehovah, life, he is my life, he gives life and all. We want the El Shaddai. We're going to get to El Shaddai pretty soon. Uh, El Shaddai is the almighty God to provide for all of my needs. But Adonai? Oh, wait. That means that area of my life, I have to give that over to him too. Whether it's my money, whether it's men or women, depending on which side you are, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, everything. He says, I'm the boss. <laughs> oh, the flesh doesn't like that. My flesh doesn't like that. Because one of the big things that I have to surrender to the Lord every day is control. But control is really a mere illusion. Unless you are God who is capable of having control over all things. Because this is who you are. I'm not saying that we're not commanded in the scripture to abide in self-control. Absolutely. But all areas of our lives must be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Not only to have him as a Savior, but also as Lord and Master. He purchased us at the price of his life. And for that reason, he has made us his slaves, his possession, which is, dare I say, his prized possession... And he earned, as if it was not enough to be God, he earned the right to lordship of my life. 
Because without him and without his sacrifice on the cross, without his decision to step out of the abode of heaven, step out of the glory of the heavenlies for some time, come here as a mere man and die at the hands of his own creation, without him doing that, I have no life. None. The grave is my final destination. And beyond that, eternal hell. Remember, eternal never stops. I've, I've had some friends telling me I would rather be in hell with my wife than in heaven alone. So first of all, what makes you believe you're going to be not alone in hell? I know you won't be alone if this is where you end up because many will go there. But what tells you you're going to enjoy any relationship whatsoever? And number two, you really don't have the right understanding of what is hell if you'd say, I'd rather be there with someone else than alone with the Lord. And I beg you, if you'd find yourself in this kind of reasoning today, come to the Lord Jesus. Nothing is worth anything other than Him. Particularly not for eternity. First Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. Brothers and sisters, there, are, there is one who died for you. Not two, not three, one. His name is Jesus Christ. If there's any hope of eternal inheritance... It's in him, because he is the one who paid the price that only him could pay. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of man. The one who paid your ransom, in, in the tech world today we hear a lot about ransomware. <laughs> this is the name of the day for technology managers. Or, or not even, maybe even some of you here have been victims of ransomware already. Some form of cyber extortion. But hear this. Christ is the one who paid your ransom. Because there was a ransom against you from the moment that sin came into the world. That God says, blood must be shed for the payment of sin. And this blood must be pure. And the only pure blood, as we read in the book of Hebrews, was the blood of the Lamb of God, Christ. And we're going to see this here as we get into the provision that God made for this. Because we were bought at a price, Christ purchased us by His blood, and therefore we become His subjects, and He needs to be Lord over us. And the sooner we do that, the sooner we surrender that to Him, the better it is. And why is there a blessing in doing that? Because he's the best boss ever. Because he is the God of all creation. He doesn't need to read the manual. He is the manual. He knows all there is to know about us. Much better than us. Psalm 139, you read it. He knows all my intricate ways. Even before I was. It's amazing. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, uh, 
And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him as head over all the things, and to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. We as individuals and as a church body, as a corporate body of Christ, do well to look to him and keep him preeminent in our lives, not just as individuals, but as a united body to maintain unity and harmony between the head, Christ, and the body, the church, so that the people don't go out there and say, my non-church friends are better people than the church people. And I hear that all the time. My secular friends are better people than you guys who are all hypocrites. And people are saying, oh yeah, well you say there's hypocrites in the church, please come. It'll need to get one more. This is the reality of it. God has not come to make us better people. He has come to raise us to life out of the grave. And the more we give him preeminence in our lives, and it's his character coming out of me, not my character, is the only solution for my behavior and my demeanor to be godly. He does the work through me. Because if I try to do it, guaranteed utter failure. Guaranteed. Firstborn from the dead... Christ is the firstborn from the dead with a resurrection body. Um, a lot of people in the high circles of Christianity even will dispute the bodily resurrection of Christ. There's big implications with doing that. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us very plainly, if Christ is not risen, your faith is all in vain. And we're still in our sins. How, is, how good is a Savior who's still dead? How good is a Savior to give life if he doesn't have victory over death himself? By his own words in Revelation, Jesus seals the deal. He says, Revelation 1, Revelation, sorry, 1, 17 to 18 says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death of Hades. Praise God for who he is. Colossians 1 verse 19 and 20 as we draw to the end of our passage here. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven it was also the Father's good pleasure to do what? To crush him for our sake. And we read that in Isaiah 53, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering for the guilt that was ours, not his, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This speaks of God as El Shaddai, the all-powerful God to provide for all our needs. Do we believe that? That he is even capable of providing for all our needs. And how good are we at going to him first for prayer when we find ourselves in a pickle rather than 
ex experiencing and extenuating all of our own resources. And when we find ourselves at the end of the rope, Lord, I've tried everything, and it doesn't work. Could you help? And I hear the Lord saying at the receiving end, just waiting for you to ask. Why did you not ask right away? I do that all the time. <laughs> I do that all the time. As we read in that passage, we remember that God, from very early on, Genesis 22, promised to provide ultimately for our own salvation. And it reads like this in the King James Version, actually, I think is the better rendering of the passage. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 8, when Isaac is up there with Abraham on the mountain where the only one son of the promise has been given him by God, and all of a sudden God is saying, I want you to kill him. We can hear Abraham, come on, Lord. You provided the son, but now really you have taken him away? And here's Abraham's response. My son, God will provide himself a lamb. And in that verse says, God will be the lamb of provision for that sacrifice that needs to be done thousands of years later in the person of Christ. Amen to that? That God would provide you know, it behooves me sometimes, and I, I reflect on that. If, if, if God thought like me, and he knew the end from the beginning, and he knew that the world would go awry and sin would come into the world, and he would have to die for his own creation, if I was in his shoes, I would just not do it. I would say, no way, Jose. This is going to go sideways. I'm going to wait until I have a better plan. And what really astonishes me is that God did it anyway. So that he could prove to all of creation his victory and his glory over the power of darkness. Isn't that amazing? And as we run to the finish line here in this passage, uh, although in verse 21 and 22 of Colossians 1, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Christ offered himself as a perfect sacrifice that we may share in his character. That's amazing. It's interesting. We think of blood as something that stains. If any one of you have ever had to clean blood on a white garment, it's very difficult. Um, but Revelation 7.14 says, He's speaking of, of the saints coming out of the tribulation. It says that they have washed their robes and it made it white in the blood of the Lamb. 
Because spiritually, the blood of Christ has the power to cleanse of all sin. And that's something we can really say praise God for that. And verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, from the hope that God paid for the penalty of sin, saves us daily from the, pen, from the power of sin, and will glorify us out of the presence of sin in the fulfillment of His promises. Our salvation, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you with this, that our salvation does not depend on our ability to stay in it. Because if it did, I would be the first one to fail. There'd be no hope for that. But our salvation depends on His ability to keep us in it and to fulfill on His promises. As we continue, we continue in the faith, the more we give Christ the proper preeminence and presence in our lives, the more there is hope to stay in the walk of faith on a daily basis. Because He is the origin of the work through us. Many places in the scripture it says, stop fighting, the battle is mine. And He's already won it. All we need to do is let him do his work. If salvation was something to be lost, again, the efficacy of the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all sin is just simply not true. Because if today I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb, who was perfect in the sacrifice he did, complete, never to be repeated, once and for all, if today I'm covered with this and tomorrow I'm not, it means it failed. And the ultimate implication of that is it means God's a liar. May it never be, the apostle says, in many ways. In closing, Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he, Elohim, all-powerful, Jehovah, life, El Shaddai, all-powerful to provide for all our needs, and Adonai, the boss and ruler and sovereign Lord over all, He who began the good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord for doing that. And the assurance of our salvation here, not just from hell, but from the power of sin in daily living, is to continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not wavering, keeping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preeminent in our lives, personally and corporately as the body of Christ. May he get all the glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you how those four names reveal more of your character to us, that even in doubt we may turn to this and give you all the glory and trust that you are a God of your word, that you are who you are, and we can really earnestly put our faith in that and bank on that for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Sony. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. That's so good. 
Uh, as we wrap things up, if uh, Dana asked me to let you know if you need to pick up kids, you can go down by the washrooms in the kitchen and pick your kids up from the, the metal gate there. It'll be open. That's where she's releasing the children this morning. And uh, we have coffee, tea, cookies, and that sort of thing out, uh, out in the underpass of the, the front door of the church there. So please stick around and, and visit. All right. And Sony's going to come up and give us a benediction as we, as we head out into this week. I would like to leave you with those words uh, of Hebrews 13, verse 20 to 21. says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.